This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B-H-E-R-T-E-L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Coin World Podcast. We're ready for another session. We hope you're strapped in, ready to go too. I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. Strapped in, do I have to be uh, in a... um one of those straight jackets? I mean, is no, that... No, no, no. No, what I'm talking about is make sure your tray table is upright and in the locked position because we're ready to fly here today. We're going to uh, take you back in time a little bit to uh, an aspect that uh, is no longer with us, regrettably so, as we talk in our interview to Dusty Royer coming up a little bit later on here. And once again, we want to thank the fine folks at Amos Advantage for helping us out with this podcast and getting things ready for takeoff as we explore the wide, wide world of numismatics, thanks to the Coin World podcast. After just wrapping up another one of those great issues, great job done by uh, Paul Jilks and uh, Bill Gibbs and also uh, Steve Roach and all the contributors who helped uh, get that monthly issue together here. And we invite you to check that out in either print or digital, and uh, you can check out all the things that are going on really gives us an opportunity to see things that are happening with CoinWorld having been around for you know more than 60 years now. It's kind of cool to say that and a lot of things that's been going on and know that we get to stay on the edge and see the things that are happening. But you know, it's always nice to go back and take a look at things because I'm kind of one of those guys that likes to look at uh, on this day in history type thing. And that's why I, I really appreciate when you bring to the table the uh, great information that we have about this day in numismatic history. What you got for me today? So, uh, you know, this is one of these that is not a truly numismatic anniversary, but boy, does it have resonance. We're going back to September 23rd, 1974. So uh, 47 years ago, what happened on that day? That was when Congress and members of the press representatives of Congress, I should say, and members of the press, toured the Fort Knox Gold Bullion Depository in Kentucky. Mm. And, you know, that's the storehouse of uh, America's gold reserves. This isn't the trivia question. Do you have any idea how many ounces of gold are supposed to be allegedly held at Fort Knox? This is as of March 5th, 2021, according to the U.S. Mint. That I would really have no idea, but my mind is more focused on what kind of souvenirs did they hand out at the end of that tour? I'd like to know about that. I mean, because a lot of times when we were to taking tours of auto plants or manufacturing plants, they sometimes had souvenirs. Hershey was always one of my favorites for obvious reasons. But I wonder what kind of souvenirs they were handing out on this tour that you're talking about. But as far as your question goes, I have no idea. I've been to Fort Knox. My son was stationed there. But, I mean, you couldn't get any closer than the fence of seeing the place. It's a big building. I have no idea how much they have in there. So uh, about half of the Treasury's stored gold, as well as valuables of other federal agencies, is kept at Fort Knox. And the amount of present gold holdings, as, like I say, March 5th, 2021, was 147.3 million ounces. That's according to the U.S. Mint. I know that there are some folks who are skeptical uh, that uh, the gold is actually held there. I even had a friend over the weekend tell me an anecdote about how somebody uh, doing some work on on Fort Benning 
told him that they were expanding all this stuff at Fort Benning and, and why is that he asked and because they're moving all these folks that are stationed at Fort Knox because they're, the gold's not there to, to guard and, and they need them. Uh, they can use them down on Fort Benning. I, I think somebody was pulling his leg. I think that's a joke unless and until there's a, another situation like what happened 47 years ago when uh, members of the press and representatives of Congress go actually see uh, the gold in Fort Knox, there's going to be a lot of skepticism and questions as to how much is actually held, if, if it's held at all. Some people, like I say, don't think there's any there. There are some famous photos of, of uh, I want to say, I don't know if it was Mint Director Eva Adams. Uh, there was it was uh, Mint Director there anyway, with the gold bricks in the same photo behind her, and you know the there's there's several like David Gans who's who's still around in the hobby at some level. He was there in attendance. I don't know how many other folks that were in attendance are still alive, but they very much saw the gold there then. You know, how much is there today? Who knows? I don't know that it really matters given the, um, you know, the the monetary supply, the amount of U.S. dollars in circulation, you know, especially the, the increase of that since the 2008 financial crisis, the value, the real value of gold, the melt value of the gold that's being stored it can't be but a percentage or two of the actual value of the paper money in circulation, if even that. So when the um, the fiat money, the paper money in circulation is so divorced from the actual gold holdings, I mean, we, we're not on a gold standard. We haven't been since the 70s, so uh, early 70s, uh, right? So you know, it doesn't matter. We have you know the full faith and credit of the United States government for good or ill behind it. And there's lots to be said for, I guess, criticism of government spending and uh, the Federal Reserve and and all that. But, you know, I I don't know that they'll ever have another tour of the of the Mint again. I'm sorry, of the um, Fort Knox again. But speaking of the Federal Reserve, that does allow me a chance to mea culpa. Uh, I don't know where my brain was uh, the last few weeks. But, you know, I referenced the 13 Federal Reserve Bank branch uh, districts, and I, I guess I was I was trying to get a baker's dozen out of it because the reality is there's only 12. And I, I fundamentally I knew that, but I, I don't know, somehow I like I say, I was I was trying to get a, a, a the 13th one free, like when I go to Krispy Kreme. But there are only 12 Federal Reserve Bank branches of the district branches. Uh, there are something like 24 of the branches total, but the, the 12 Federal Reserve districts and district branches. And uh, Michael Swangler told us that, and Joe Barnowski told us that. Uh, thank you for correcting me. Thank you for listening. We like the feedback. And uh, hopefully, you know, there's, I won't put my foot in my mouth too much. There's a certain amount of people out there listening for us to do that. So, I mean, it's just like uh, people have said to be reading different publications looking for errors. And just like we search our change for errors, uh, mistakes are going to happen. And sometimes, uh, you know, people are, you know, disappointed. I'm not saying these two gentlemen were doing that. I'm simply saying that sometimes people listen just for that reason or read something just for that reason, just like we look at our change just for that reason. So it happens. Hey, I'm glad that folks are listening. And, you know, hey, this is a good time to mention, um, you know, folks that are listening, we do appreciate it. We appreciate you subscribing and all that. Why don't you follow uh, us, subscribe to the Coin World Podcast if you have not done so, but also uh, share a review on whatever platform. I'm looking at one now. It's been a while since it was out there, but uh, somebody said, finally a podcast without off-color jokes, language, conspiracy rumors, and inaccurate information. It's a pleasure to listen to. I am sure that the listener will be informed and entertained. Keep up the good work. That was by Wynn Stewart. Hey, uh, thank you for saying that. Thank you for listening. Share your reviews um, out there. There, there was, um, you know, some 
somebody didn't like the discussion of the president at the time. Um, we try to we try to minimize politics, but understand that um, you know coins are inherently political objects created through a political process, and they're a great way by which we can uh, view a great lens through which we can view history. And we're often talking about history that is being made at present time. Something caught your eye, Larry, that would certainly make history if it were done, and uh, it certainly has implications for the current administration. You want to explain that? Yeah, I just was uh, reading through one of our articles on the, in the paper money section concerning redesigns of bills. And uh, long before I really became my association with uh, Coin World and the podcast, I knew about the concept of the idea of placing different individuals on our currency. And uh, there is a website called Women on Twenties that was created for, and uh, many know about the Harriet Tubman uh, attempt, attempt to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. Well, you know, that's been around for a while and there's been, it's been ebbing and flowing and uh, just kind of, you know, not happening, happening, not happening type thing. And uh, so I just took a shot and I reached out to the founder of the organization. As a matter of fact, spoke to her earlier today and she has agreed to come on to a future podcast. So we will be welcoming Barbara Howard of the Women on Twenties to a future podcast episode here at Coin World, and want to thank her in advance for her uh, willingness to be a part of this. And she's got some very insightful things to uh, talk about beyond just changing the design of the bill. There's a lot of things that are going on, a lot of things we uh, don't necessarily find ourselves in a tune with, but a lot of things you need to think about. When you know they say change is good and change is slow, and it certainly is all of that. But uh, we're not going to. Uh, set it up any much more than that, just understanding that our plans are to include Ms. Howard in a future podcast, and she has agreed to do so. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, I think it's important for not just those who uh, collect currency, but we all spend it too. So it's going to be quite interesting to hear what she has to say in one of the upcoming episodes. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks a trillion for that update. A trillion, all that part. Okay, yeah, well, the, you know, the, the trillion dollar coin is uh, back in the news again, uh, creating this platinum trillion dollar coin to deposit in the Federal Reserve. But, you know, to pay our bills, I mean, I wish I had that capabilities. I mean, you know, you think about the magic of money, but uh, just the idea that there are some things being talked about, about, you know, spending and and all these different things. We're just going to keep our hands on the pulse of what's going on in the world. And, you know, a lot of things happening in the uh, political realm, the back and forth that goes on in the two-party system. But uh, we just have to be observers. And we uh, sometimes affected by, sometimes not affected by some of the activities that go on. I know a lot of times we see congressional legislation being proposed to go through for commemorative programs or to uh, make medals for certain types of things. We have the uh, military medals are underway in the recent news that the Space Force is going to be honored, aptly so, for uh, an upcoming silver medal. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting that as we keep an eye on what goes on in the government, on the legislative branch or on the executive branch or wherever the case may be. So, you know, a lot of times it does affect us in more ways than just emotionally and politically emotionally. So, just uh, keeping forth with what's going on here. Again, we have to keep our fingers on the pulse of what's happening. And what's really happening in the world right now is uh, we've reached this point in our podcast. Once again, to thank the fine folks at Amos Advantage and thank you for listening here. But let's spin that way back machine back and let's take it back. I think you've picked the year 1987. So explain that one for me. Yeah, so we uh, had a great discussion with Dusty Royer, who is a specialist in Disney dollars, and uh, 1987 was the first year that Disney dollars were created. So let's look to the September 23rd, 1987 issue of Coin World. What was the big news that week? Well, it's interesting to see that the story that ha that was in the news then uh, here. 34 years later has not yet happened because the headline is proposed legislation seeks end of dollar note bill awaiting introduction may authorize dollar coin. Part of the um, thing in the news was the idea that the dollar federal reserve note 
needed to be uh, phased out of circulation. This against the backdrop here, you understand that in '83 the United Kingdom got rid of their one-pound note. The last note in circulation then had scientist uh, Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton on it, and they replaced that with a. Uh, one pound coin. Canada, 1987, same year as, as this uh, in the news, uh, got rid of their paper dollar and issued a loony dollar coin. Uh, and, um, you know, you would have in, I think, 1988, Canada, uh, I'm sorry, Australia got rid of their two dollar one and two dollar coin uh, paper money and issued new coins. Actually, the dollar coin for Australia was issued as early as '84, I think. So, uh, in any event, in circulation and and the paper dollar was out. So, you know, many other major countries were making the switch then, and uh, several representatives from actually both sides of the aisle uh, suggested that the dollar Federal Reserve note be phased out. Also, part of the legislation was. Uh, to make a commemorative coin for the 500th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's voyage, which, you know, as we know, in hindsight, there was eventually a Columbus uh, commemorative coin program from the U.S. Mint. We are still waiting 34 years later for the $1 Federal Reserve note to go bye-bye from circulation. Um so that's uh, that's you know the big news uh, then. What uh, what caught your eye on letters, Larry? Interestingly, one of the first letters deals with the loon dollar from Canada. It's got the headline across the whole page says loon dollar good model for new U.S. coin. The letter from Thomas Wilder out of Cambridge, Massachusetts starts off. I have just seen Canada's new gold-colored loon dollar coin. This is a beautiful coin, and even though it does not seem particularly well struck, it should nevertheless be widely acceptable in Canada and hasten the phasing out of their dollar note. I have always been convinced that the failure of the Susan B. Anthony dollar coin in the United States was not its design nor size, but its color, the same dreary color as the rest of our coinage. A gold or bronze colored coin would have gained immediate acceptance in 1979, and we would probably not have the dollar bill in circulation today. The Mint must have experimented with gold or bronze colored alloys, alloys rather, but found them too difficult to clad onto copper or to strike. Perhaps electroplating an alloy onto a copper base is the answer. The technology in plating alloys has increased markedly in the last few years, and the Canadians have picked up on it to produce their nice coin. In any case, the emergence of this new Canadian dollar should encourage another effort to get a dollar coin into U.S. pockets. A complete overall of all U.S. coinage, designs, sizes, and colors is long overdue. A good start for this process would be a renewed effort to produce an attractively designed and color dollar coin. Another one, uh, another letter to follow that one. It uh, becomes our mandatory mint bashing, more or less. It says, Mint Offerings. I must comment on a letter from Larry Van Pelt regarding the amount of coins in the recent Mint Offerings. Van Pelt's contention is that the Mint should not mint uncirculated coins for collectors which are not intended to circulate. He further contends the coins should not have different Mint marks and they should only be proof. I say the more coins and Mint marks and conditions the better. After all, how can we collect coins if the Mint doesn't cooperate? Van Pelt asked for someone to tell him why the United States Mint issues coins in an uncirculated grade when they never intended to be circulated in the first place. Well, that's an easy one, to make money for the U.S. Treasury and to please collectors. Unfortunately, there are many collectors who feel they must purchase the complete Mint offerings to make sure they get the right coin. Collectors are supposed to please themselves and not worry about whether or not they purchase the right coin or the right coin set. They feel because the Mint issued a 13-coin set for the Olympic Games, they must purchase the complete set. Just purchase what you want and what you can afford. It's ridiculous to complain just because the person can't afford a complete set. It's akin to complaining that the new car you want also offers leather seats. Since you can't afford this luxury, you want the automaker to discontinue that option. And that letter comes from D.D. Woodruff, of San Rafael, California. So there you have it. A couple of interesting letters as the uh, um, issues obviously provoking the writers to uh, put pen to paper 
as they would back in September of 1987 and share their thoughts with us that we share with you again 34 years later. Great turn of events, no doubt about that. I think the, um, the Canadian experience is something that Americans should really look to as a way forward because I've been to Canada and I've been to some other places, the Eurozone and, and the UK, where you know you don't have a $1 note or an equivalent. And um, people, oh, you don't want to load down your pocket with all this stuff. No, what you end up doing is, you know, you just make change easier and you get, you know, you get rid of your coins as fast as you get them, basically. Anyway, especially with a two pound coin, $2 coin as well, and in many places, uh, two euro coin, it's, um, it's not as onerous as people make it out to be. And the Royal Canadian Mint has for decades been really a market leader with doing things uh, from a technological and circulation standpoint and, um, you know, getting people involved in design contests and all that. So it's definitely an object lesson if the U.S. ever decided to ditch the dollar, uh, $1 note anyway. And here's the thing, too. Um, you know, this also, you take it to the other end of the spectrum because Canada also ditched the cent. And yep. we hear the constant talk about that down here in the country as well, how, uh, you know, we, we got to have the cent. Well, Canada got rid of it in 2012. So that dollar coin, though heavier than the cent, you have uh, fewer cents. Odds are you're going to be carrying, you know, four cents or, you know, up to eight, nine, ten cents in your pocket and uh, maybe just only one dollar coin. So it's not a case of uh, really burdening your pocket so much as it is uh, just common sense in uh, the commerce and the transaction. So here again, it's a topic that uh, that letter is 34 years old. We see where we are today. Don't know when that change is going to come, if it's going to come. Same thing with the cent. We don't know when it's going to be happening. But, you, you know, the idea is uh, others have found ways to make changes. And it just is incumbent upon us if we're so inclined to do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked about gold and the Federal Reserve and the circulating you know, dollar and paper money and all that. Um, I want to know, now that we've talked about those topics, if you have thought about the trivia question from last week. Have you come to a conclusion to the question? Do you know what the answer? And so last week, because of the September 11th anniversary, I asked about the um, September 11th National Medal. So it's silver medal. Um, and I wanted to know how many were minted and what amount of surcharges did the sales of those medals raise for the museum there at Ground Zero. Each medal sold raised $10 toward the museum. So, you know, if you know the mintage and, and you can add a zero to the number, you can get the, um, the surcharge amount. Um, without cheating, do you have any idea? Or maybe with cheating, just let me know. I don't care. <laughs> oh, well, no, I can't. I mean, I can't cheat. Uh, that's just... That's just not fair. Um, but uh, I think I, I'm trying to just go back and, and the different things that we read, thanks to the many books that you've turned me on to here. And uh, just, you know, you can cheat by, if you consider looking it up in a reference book cheating, well, then I'm, I'm kind of guilty because uh, I was able to find what I believe to be close to the answer. I think it was in, in the neighborhood of 175,000, between 175, 180,000, I believe is what the actual mintage was on that one. So that's kind of what, if you need an exact figure, I'm going to go 177.5. So that's just kind of like the mid ground there. Are you serious? So yes, uh, 177,293 medals. So that that's $1.77 million raised in surcharges for the museum. I've been there uh, both before it was open and after it opened, um, you know, before it was open, but after it became quote unquote ground zero. Um, I think in 2012, I went to the, the site um, and then I've been there again as, as the museum has been open. And it, it's a site that much like, I think, you know, as many Americans as can uh, make it to 
New York and go see the Statue of Liberty, I think they should go to the 9-11 Museum. It's, it's a moving, uh, almost spiritual, very important place. Um, you know, the flowing water resembling all the tears that um, the families and, and the nation uh, have, have cried over the loss and, and the, um, the change in, in life and all that. It's, it's just, um, it's beautiful in its simplicity and it's in, in what it memorializes in the sense that um, it, it's beautifully sad because, you know, we, we of course wish it didn't exist and, and wish that um, that day had never happened, but it is uh, the best way to honor uh, that day and, and those victims, and um, and so it's it's something that people should go to. But in any event, uh, enough heaviness. Um, you know, Disney dollars is the topic of our interview here in just a minute with Dusty Royer. So I came up with a couple questions for you. You can do one or the other or both. Do you do you have a choice? You can choose A, B, or all, or both. A, B, or both. I'm feeling so confident that I'll just go with door number one. I'm going to just take A. Okay. So the first question, the only question for you, is what character or characters were on the 2005 Disney $5 notes? The 2005 Disney $5 notes. Okay. This marked the 50th anniversary of Disneyland. I understand the 50th anniversary of Disney World is coming up, right? Yes, that's correct. October 1st of 2021. Yes. So Disneyland, 50th anniversary, which character or characters were on the 2005 Disney $5 notes? And um, you will just have to think about it and uh, we will we will have the answer next episode. How about that? Okay, so I can rule out my favorite figment. He's not there, I'm sure. But I, you keep mentioning this figment. I'm not even. It's, it's yeah, a figment the, of your imagination. No, no, he's from the world of imagination from Epcot. He's no longer um, an attraction, but he was. Uh, you have to look him up. So oh, the small great. purple dragon. That's the one. Yes, that's my boy. That's figment. So okay, I so never this, heard of him. I'm I'm so divorced from you know, real life and pop culture and all that. I, I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> I know he, I know he's not on any Disney dollars. He didn't quite make that status there by being an Epcot character. But so you gave me the option of choosing between one of two questions. Do the listeners get the second question? Sure. Listeners we'll ask them that question as well. Uh, which signature or signatures appear on Disney dollars? I mean, we know that uh, American paper money has a couple signatures. So naturally, there would be a signature or two on Disney money, right? It only makes sense. Now I'm sure Dusty can tell us that. I'm going to listen to the interview and see if I can get an answer to either one of these questions. Okay. Well, there you go. So now you'll, and everybody listening, uh, listen close listen uh, intently and uh, we will have uh, we will meet you on the other side of the interview and certainly we'll have the answer if you don't catch it if you're distracted or something we'll have the answers next week the coin world podcast is so fortunate today to be joined by dusty royer who uh, is a longtime specialist in paper money his notes of note you might be familiar with, but today we want to specifically narrow in on some Mickey Mouse money, or more specifically, Disney dollars. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. So I had the pleasure, because you're here in St. Louis, where I am, of seeing your presentation on Disney dollars uh, several months back at uh, a local coin club. And it got me thinking, you know, Disney dollars are a, a wonderful, fun area of the hobby some people might not be familiar with. And so that's uh, that's why we begged you and got you here today. But before we delve into that, uh, can you explain how you got into paper money collecting and dealing? Uh, and, and then, you know, we can explore the transition into, you know, the walking down Main Street USA, as it were. Well, it started back around uh, uh, 1959, 1960. Uh, 
I started collecting coins like everybody does. And uh, uh, I opened my first coin shop in 1961, which was Midas Coins. And uh, I was in that business for about seven years, and I had several other coin shops besides that. But uh, I kind of really enjoyed the paper money for a number of reasons, uh, more of the historical type things. And uh, so I kept dealing in coins, but I kept getting more involved with paper money, which down the road uh, translated into my interest in Disney dollars. So, uh, what was it about the paper money? The large visual format, the the variety of designs. Is there any particular thing you'd narrow in on as as the key? Well, pretty much all those things. Uh, but I'm also a history buff, and uh, I love geography, and it just seemed like a natural thing. And the and the beauty of the paper money, which uh, as pretty as a lot of coins are, they'll never have the beauty that the paper money does. Yeah, there there are a lot uh, more options, design variety, things you can do with a with such a larger canvas, and certainly that explains the maybe the allure of Disney dollars. What are Disney dollars? I mean, you know, that's not something I can take to the store and and plop down and and uh, buy my my groceries with. But um, how did this begin, and and why did that happen? Well, the first Disney dollars came out in 1987, and I suppose my interest was along around uh, uh, 1990, something like that. I picked up a few at a show in Chicago, and I thought, well, these are these are pretty neat, and uh, it's something that would appeal to children and also appeal to adults who are collectors. That's kind of where my beginning was, and and as my my interest increased, so did my involvement in buying and selling. And uh, it's always been a tough thing to find the better notes, just like any collecting that you do. As I understand it, maybe you can, well, of course you can elaborate. You're, that's why you're here. Um, Disney dollars were launched in 1987. Was there, um, where were these used? What was the intended use you know, how did that start in the sense that, you know, was this a, thought to be a one-time promotion? Was it all at one of the theme parks? Was there an anniversary it was marking? Um, talk about that, please. Well, first of all, uh, they were actually born on uh, May the 5th of 1987 was when the whole idea came uh, to fruition. And uh, the plates were were engraved by the U.S. Banknote Company, and the paper is 100% cotton, where most of these kind of things would be made out of really cheap paper, but this wasn't the case. The printer was embossing printing company of Battle Creek, Michigan, and the first year they printed $870,000 worth of Disney dollars. And the first day that they were available at the park, which was only at that point only in Disneyland, they sold $60,000 in ones and fives in that first day. And you could buy them at the bank or you could buy them even when you were buying your tickets to get into the park. And the idea was that uh, they would spend as U.S. dollars. If you had $5 worth of Disney dollars, you had five U.S. dollars because you could spend them on the rides, you could spend them on concessions, whatever you wanted to do. And uh, But they were only only good for the for that park, not for Disney World. In the middle of the year, they were so successful with it that they decided why limit it to Anaheim? Let's let's use them in Orlando. So they made a printing with with uh, for Disney World, and then they had to make a second printing because it was so popular. They had to make a second printing for Disneyland. And they also uh, had to change the wording on there where it said that they were only good at Disneyland to include Disney World. You mentioned the $1 and the $5 denominations. Were they also initially available in larger denominations? No. No, the first, the first change in the 5 and the 10s is in 1990, they came out with a $10 note. And the $10 note was the highest denomination they'd ever printed up until 2005 when they printed 50s for the 50th anniversary of Disney World, Disney, Disneyland, I'm sorry. 
you know, you said they they sold right away sixty thousand dollars the first day. Uh, they were end up issued at both parks that first year. Yes, the D came along later in the year, and uh, it made a variety for the uh, for the Disney World or Disneyland because all of a sudden you had the original, which had an A for Anaheim, uh, for the prefix, and then they later on when they went made the second printing. They had an uh, an A at the end of the of the uh, serial number as a suffix, and so you had the two varieties for that year. But they didn't have it in the D's because they only made the D for one printing. Okay, and so uh, after 1987, after that first year, did they continue to make two different printings, one for each park, or did they decide, you know what, we're just going to have one that's good at both of them? When did that happen? They kept that all the way through uh, to 2014. In 2005, when they did the 50th anniversary, they also added a T suffix, uh, prefix, I'm sorry, uh, for Disney stores. Yeah, you could use them on the at the off uh, site because Disney stores were just in the news here in Florida because I guess we're down to just one of them now. And uh, so then you could use the Disney dollars in the mall locations around the country then. The Disney uh, dollars could be used on the Disney cruises. They could be used at Disney hotels, uh, any of the Disney uh, stores uh, or uh, souvenir shops uh, at the park. Anything that actually had to do with Disney, that they, they could be used as U.S. dollars. And that's one of the things that distinguishes Disney from every other type of promotional uh, paper money is that at any given time, you could go to the bank at Disney World or Disneyland or the Disney stores, and you could cash them back in for U.S. dollars, where most things are state on them, only good in trade. So these you could actually spend. And even today, since they don't make any more uh, Disney dollars, you can still spend those at the park. You can still exchange them at the bank, at the Disney bank, actually, but they won't give you any back. In other words, you can you can cash in, but you can't cash out. So then that begs the question, if they were so popular in, in the beginning, uh, did they stop making them because they stopped being popular? No, they decided to go another route and make uh, nothing but gift cards. Some person decided this was a good deal. If you talk to most people, they'll tell you they really missed the dollars. And that was one of the things they did when they went to the park. And, of course, Disney was very smart because if you bought $100 worth of Disney dollars to take your kids around for the rides and that kind of thing, chances are you'd cash back in the fives and later on you might cash in the tens but most people took the ones home for souvenirs, which means that every one of those dollars that never came back, you were a dollar ahead. And that probably means that the higher denominations are the tougher ones. Is that uh, always the case or are there some exceptions? Like everything that's collectible, there there's no rhyme or reason that says absolute. One of the most expensive Disney dollars is a 1996D $1.00. It's the key to all the dollars, and if someone gives you a want list and they need five notes, one of them is the 1996D dollar. And what makes that so uh, special and rare? The 96D, the 1, the 5, and the 10 are all the rarest of the Disney dollars. And people have a lot of different reasons that they think that that that's why they're so rare. But the one that most people believe is that they were only given out to cast members and VIPs. The average guy couldn't buy one at the park when they came out for a dollar. Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. Now, I can remember going to a Disney store, in fact, I think here in St. Louis, and, and buying some of the notes uh, years ago. Chicken Little, I think, was on one of them. But there's a whole range of, of characters on these besides, you know, I made the reference to Mickey Mouse money, but there's Mickey Mouse, uh, Minnie Mouse. How many different characters are on there? And, and do people collect by character? What's Is there more love for Mickey than, say, Goofy? I mean, uh, is there or is there no rhyme or reason either on that? Well, you mentioned the, the stores. There was one out in St. Charles that I used to go to. I, I've never actually counted up how many different characters are there, 
But it's interesting, a few characters that never made it. Pinocchio never made it. Bambi never made it. Uh, so these are, these are things that you would think would have happened. But there are a number of characters. The most popular, of course, is Mickey himself. And uh, second is Tinkerbell. Everybody has their favorites. And you can collect these just like people collect stamps. You can collect by character. You can collect by year. You can collect by, by park. You can say, well, I'm going to collect all the $1. Or you're going to say, uh, you know, I'll try to get uh, one of every example, uh, which the, the total is 187 notes constitutes a full collection. And that's everything. Wow. And and I know one thing that um, I guess matters in, in this sense is uh, there is third-party certification for Disney dollars. Um, has that been... A good thing, a bad thing? Is it neutral? What's uh, what do you think about uh, the fact that, that you can buy them in slabs? Well, it it all boils down to the same problem or the same idea that everybody had with slab coins. Is you you have the uh, the modern people who this is their guarantee that what they're buying is what it says it is, growth grade wise and authentication. And then you have the people who say, I'm an old dinosaur. I believe in grading my own stuff. Uh, I know as much as these guys do, probably more. Uh, and then you get the people in the middle that they just buy it if it's a good deal, whether it's slabbed or not. The slabbing co- or not slabbing company, the grading companies have done a tremendous amount of these. I think there's a, uh, a figure somewhere in how many they had made up until about 2002. And it's, it's a pretty staggering amount of notes that they actually certified. Certification works for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. For people who don't want to take the trouble to really, really learn about grading in that, this is a godsend to them because they just rely on the fact that, hey, it says it's an MS-67 or whatever it is, and uh, that's a good deal. And I don't have to worry about whether it's overgraded or whatever. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I think that I want to detour away from that for a minute, every numismatic series has some uh, errors, right? You know, there's always, uh, you know, when you're talking about mass production of an object, there's always going to be some production snafus and, and Disney dollars are not immune from that reality, correct? Absolutely. There are very, very few reported real errors as far as the printing and that type of thing goes. But in 2013, well, first of all, they had they had a series in uh, 2011 uh, for the Pirates of the Caribbean, and they had heard an earlier issue in 07 for the, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. But there was no no issue for 12. So people thought, well, maybe that's the end. Well, that wasn't because in 2013, they came out with four different $1 notes. It was called Villains and Heroes. And uh, they were pretty interesting. It had uh, the villains on one side and the, the uh, heroes on the other. And the uh, one of the notes had the 101 Dalmatians on it. And it had the... Uh, like Cruella de Vil yeah. Yeah, she was, she was on the one side and the pups and the mom and dad were on the other. Well, about two weeks after the notes were issued, someone discovered that they had misspelled Dalmatians. And so they took all those and they pulled them out of the parks. And so they weren't available anymore. But there were thousands of them had come out. This is a case of an item where something brings a fair amount of money, but it's really not rare. There's tons of them out there. And the thing that would have made it a real situation and a real uh, valuable item is if they would have corrected it, but they'd never corrected it. They only pulled it out. So while it's an error, there's no correct one, which would have made it a, a, a pretty good deal. Uh, I myself was at the park because I used to go to the fun show all the time and I would go out to the park and I happened to go out there in 13 and I bought several hundred uh, notes of each of the uh, the heroes and villains and sold a ton of them for, you know, like two and three dollars. And once they were, uh, uh, we found out about the error, I didn't sell them that cheap anymore. Okay. Uh, but the interesting thing was that a friend of mine out in California, he and I would trade A's and D's when new notes came out 
because he buys and sells them as well. So I bought all the ones for him down there and I sent them off to him and he had two or three people to go to the park every day for him in, in Anaheim and all of it, they couldn't get any. So he had to pay me for all the notes, but I didn't get any A's in return. So that wasn't a good deal. Well, likewise, when you're talking about rarity and you're talking about desire and that type of thing, it always begs the question when you're thinking about this, are there counterfeit Disney dollars out there somewhere? I've never seen a counterfeit Disney dollar because the the thing about it is that whether it's Disney dollars or Confederate or whatever it is, uh, there has to be enough value in it to make it worthwhile. Uh, if you made a bunch of ninety sixty dollars or ninety sixty fives or whatever, and all of a sudden you dumped them on the market, you'd kill the market and you'd make nothing on it. I've never seen what I consider to be a, a counterfeit Disney dollar. And I'm not suggesting that they make them either. So let's just go on record about that. <laughs> that that's fascinating, though. So um, what is the most valuable note and and what would it might set back it just in you know raw uncirculated form well the most valuable note uh would be the 1996 d10 and in a let's say a 66 or a 67 you're talking about somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars wow so ten thousand dollars that's a thousand times face value yes uh now we've talked about Anaheim and Orlando, but Disney dollars are actually a global phenomenon. Uh, let's let's explore their other kin elsewhere. Well, uh, I think most people that follow Disney at all realize that Disney Euro was a dismal failure. It only lasted a year in France, uh, but Tokyo Disneyland is a whole different story. They also have the sea, which they have they have. Uh, uh, like a, an aquarium type thing. But it's been very, very successful. And there are also Disney uh, dollars, except they're in yen, of course. And they are gift cards. They have varieties in there. They had two different varieties of the very first issue, uh, one being very rare and the other one is pretty scarce. And then they had a second printing, which those are much commoner. And then they've continued to make those with things... Um, uh, just different characters and stuff on theirs. And they're very popular. Same kind of deal. You can circulate around in the park and spend those there. Some people don't collect those because they're, uh, I guess you'd say perfectionist or they're, they're uh, uh, people that just don't believe that anything should be other than the Disney dollars themselves. But uh, there's an interest in all of them. There was one other one uh, that came out uh, where if you went to the theater uh, in Los Angeles, you could get in if you had a Disney dollar. Uh, you could get in for to watch a Disney movie. Those are quite popular as well. Uh, but it's interesting that you talked about the uh, worldwide. Uh, I have customers all over the world, people in Malaya, people in China, Australia. There's a lot of people there, the United Kingdom. Uh, you can't hardly name a country that I haven't sent a Disney dollar to to somebody. That speaks to the global reach of Disney, and that really tees up the next question. I'm presuming, and I, you know, this I want to know your experience that the reason these are so popular is because Disney has such a global reach. And uh, I guess I wonder: Are these quote unquote traditional coin collectors, or are these somebody who's collecting Disney pins, Disney stuffed animals? How, who's coming to this, and and, and what's their motivation? Well, first of all, uh, the interest in, in Disney is not surprising because it's the most collected thing in the world, more than stamps, more than wine, more than anything you can think of. There are people everywhere and every and in little littlest villages in Malaya, there are people that know who Vicky Mouse is. And so it 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 isn't surprising that how how interested people are and a lot of the people i sell to don't collect any other numismatic material it's it's the disney that excites them and the fact that it happens to be on a on a note just happens to be the way it is but it's no they they don't have any special interest in paper money it's in disney 
Okay. Uh, I mean, that totally makes sense. Uh, um, you've talked a little bit about, you know, you can collect by park or type or year or whatever. Uh, what, w- what would you recommend or what would you say to somebody who wants to know more? Uh, where should they go? Is there a club focused on this? Should, uh, you know, you may- named another dealer. How many dealers are dealing in this? Where can somebody go to learn more? Well, if you look in Coin World, you look in Coins Magazine. You can look in a lot of places. I've I've written a couple articles for for these organizations, and um, you can perhaps locate a few dealers that way. Almost anybody that deals in in paper money, at one time or another, is going to have a few Disney dollars. And what I would suggest for anyone who's starting out to collect, uh, come up with a with how you want to collect. If you want to collect one dollars, that's great. And if you have deep enough pockets, you can get them all. But you don't have to get them all. You don't have to get every park. You don't have to get every year. You can you can break it down to whatever fits within your budget. And it's the same with with whether you want to collect characters. Well, you can collect an awful lot of Mickey uh, without spending a whole tremendous amount of money, or you can spend a lot of money and get all of Mickey. It's kind of up to where you're at. And, it, and in that case, they're kind of like stamps. You can collect by type. You can collect by, uh, you know, some people collect paper money. They collect uh, uh, only Queen Elizabeth or, or they only collect ones with horses on them or whatever. And it's, it's the same with, with uh, Disney dollars. You can come up with whatever idea you want. It's interesting, too, to think about the fact that every one of the Disney dollars, with the exception of the Pirates, features a cartoon type character but when they did the the pirates of the caribbean which was a kind of plug the the movie or the movies the whole idea was that uh you have something here that has nothing to do with cartoons this was this were actual people that's the only ones they ever did I'm disappointed Figment wasn't on any of them. That was my favorite character. But, uh, you know, the idea that uh, these are so readily available, yet uh, so very popular, and uh, the organizations, it's just with the 50th anniversary of uh, the Disney World location in Orlando coming up here, it just would uh, stand to reason that we're probably going to be seeing an, an influx of these because of the idea that it's something that's part of the heritage of the park. And I would think that now is a perfect time to draw more attention to and increase the popularity of elements that help make the uh, Disney legacy so successful. One thing I might add is that there are a lot of people who um, have banded together and keep sending letters to Disney about bring back the dollars. And uh, this, this might fit well with that. One can only hope, uh, you know, Disney dollars were not made every year from 1987 to 2014. Uh, if they were to return, maybe for 2021 for the anniversary, fingers crossed, uh, we could just look at that as a long pause in the program. There is, I should note, uh, a publication out there on Disney dollars by a Charles Rogers, I believe. Yes. Charlie Rogers is the person that kind of pioneered all this. He probably knows more. Well, I'm sorry, he, the man has passed away, but he probably knew more than anybody at Disney, even about their own dollars. Uh, he published five different catalogs. Um, and the catalogs are great. Of course, the, the, the prices in them are like all catalogs are way, way out of, out of line now. But he, he had a picture of every Disney dollar. And uh, Charlie had a, a a great love for this type of thing. He also collected and sold uh, casino chips. But he was the authority on this. Unfortunately, as I say, he passed away. And uh, he was going to be making another catalog. But his very last catalog actually had the 14s. So uh, at, l- at least he was able to catalog everything that was Disney. Okay, and that's the history of Disney dollars by Charles Rogers. We're going to leave that as the final word. Uh, we thank you for learning about this, spending the time for you making the trip down here, and um, just you know, it's it's such a fun area, a neat area, and I think uh, you know, there's there's got to be some people out there that just aren't aware of it. So we appreciate you helping shed light on it. 
I was going to say, if they have questions, they can always uh, email me and I'd be glad to answer any questions possible. And uh, I'd like to talk about Disney. Awesome. We, we will, um, if somebody wants to send us that question, we will forward it to Dusty then. And, um, you know, certainly we might even mention it on the next, uh, a future episode, I should say. So thank you again. It's, um, uh, it's so fun. I, now I'm, I'm inspired to go root through my boxes and find my Disney dollars. <laughs> Lord knows where they are. <laughs> <laughs> what with the move and everything, <laughs> but and and I will tell you this right now that we do have a fair amount of Disney collectible locations and flea markets and places, antique malls around here in Florida, and I've just now been given an extra quest because I'm going to start looking really hard. We picked up a monorail car because my wife is an ex monorail driver, and we picked up a monorail car recently, so now I've got another item on my quest list. So thank you, Dusty. I appreciate that. They have a monorail uh, at. Uh... Disney of Hong Kong. <laughs> I'd like to send her there someday to go to work, but that's not okay. going to happen. A one-way ticket. <laughs> uh, I would just add this, that you, you mentioned the flea markets and that kind of thing. What you'll find is you'll find one of two things, either vastly overpriced or great bargains. That's been my experience with flea markets in general. I went to one yesterday, actually, and found a few things. And you know, but it's it's wading through the <laughs> the shaft to find the wheat. So uh, well, we th- we think this was some some good wheat, some good uh, indeed good interview. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and Jeff, you know full well that you're the one who finds the great bargains, and I'm the one who pays the immensely overpriced. I. So. Uh, I won't say anything about that, but uh, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll we'll use that as a closing point. Don't uh, uh, don't get discouraged. There's lots of great opportunities out there, and and perhaps Disney dollars, you'll find a bargain somewhere. Uh, everybody who's listening, and we'll certainly be on the look for it as well. Now that we know a little more, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. That was our interview with Dusty Royer, who is. Uh, Dusty's uh, Notes of Note, and he is a specialist in Disney dollars, Mickey Mouse money, as it were, Donald Duck bucks, and so on and so forth. It's just a, a neat topic. I've always loved the idea that, you know, it's this is a closed loop money system, and, you know, it's for the happiest place on earth or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, as a proud Missourian where Walt Disney called home. Uh, he was born in Marceline, Missouri, and they, they have uh, Main Street USA there that is, was said to be the inspiration for Walt's Main Street uh, at Disney. Uh, I love exploring the Disney connection. We hope that you found it enjoyable as well. Yeah, indeed. Um, but I kind of feel like I'm, you know, just finished going to a Disney attraction and I'm working my way through the uh, gift shop right now because, you know, we said when you said see you on the other side, it's kind of like, OK, I'm in line. I'm in the queue just to see what I can do. And then I went through Dusty's interview and now here I am. But uh, I really appreciate him sharing that knowledge with us. Darn it. Maybe I can get my uh, my figment petition going and uh, see if I can resurrect this because I really believe that with the 50th anniversary and uh, everything that's going on, that would be a good idea to bring back the Disney dollars. And like I say, I got to call my dad, see if he's got some because I know he was a big Disney guy. And uh, so maybe he's got some stash somewhere, maybe even the 2005 $5 somewhere. Maybe he can tell me. Yeah, you can you can see what he has, and and maybe that'll help you answer the question. But we'll be back in uh, another five, six, seven days or so with the answer to both of those questions, and we'll put Larry to the test. We thank you for sticking with us this long in the show, uh, as you do every week. Uh, please do uh, let us know what you think. Uh, keep me honest. I make mistakes. Um, you know, it happens. Um, but, you know, I'm glad to say, whoops, I was wrong. Facts matter. And, and I want to make sure that everybody on the other end of this is um, is getting it straight. And uh, so, you know, let us know and uh, do share your reviews as well, if you could. That's what um, gets other people finding it. And um, we, we like the feedback. And we definitely do appreciate uh, the fact that you're here with us each and every time. We look forward to uh, you joining us on the future episodes that we have. But until we get together again next time, happy collecting. 
Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast.